Welcome to Financial Crime Matters with Kieran Beer. I'm Kieran Beer, Chief Analyst and Director of Editorial Content for ACAMS, world's largest membership organization for AML CFT professionals. Today I talk with Professor Louise Shelley, who directs the Terrorism, Transnational Crime, and Corruption Center at George Mason University. We talk about the rise in illicit trade and its use by terrorists and what the financial community can do to address that. I hope you enjoy the podcast and will subscribe to the series either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Here we go. Today's podcast is sponsored by Refinitiv. Engage your customers and third parties with confidence. By using Refinitiv's due diligence solutions, you can gain detailed insights and ratings about your customers, third parties, vendors, suppliers, distributors, citizenship applicants, and investment opportunities. Our comprehensive set of tools and services are suitable for any sector or business size in any location. Find out more about Refinitiv's due diligence workflow platforms, due diligence reports, and managed services for onboarding. Visit us at Refinitiv.com. Well, good morning. It is a pleasure for me to speak to you, Professor Louise Shelley, who directs the Terrorism, Transnational Crime, and Corruption Center at George Mason University. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Shelley. It's my pleasure to be with you. So let's get right into it. Your focus has been, for those that don't know, you know, obviously, the role that illicit trade finance plays in funding terrorism. How big a role does it play? And bring us up to perspective on what's involved in illicit trade in funding terrorism. Illicit trade has a key role because trade-based money laundering is a very underaddressed phenomenon in the money laundering community. And the proximity of terrorist groups and combatants and conflicts to natural resources is very significant. In fact, most conflicts in the world are occurring in very close proximity to the areas of richest biodiversity. As I wrote in my last book, Dark Commerce, how an illicit economy is threatening our future. So a lot of terrorist financing is going on through gold, conflict minerals, wildlife, trees, but often this is a phenomenon that is not sufficiently recognized by financial professionals. Well, let's get to that, but, but let me first ask you to be a little specific. Can you give me some of the sense of the terrorist organizations that are particularly engaged in illicit trade finance and why, you know, you, you mentioned conflict and terror groups. Why is this and, and natural resources and kind of tie that together? Okay. Decades ago, the term narco-terrorism was developed because many terrorist groups were engaging in the trade in drugs. There were dozens of them decades ago. But because there is so much interest by the law enforcement community, by the financial community, in tracing the profits and financial flows linked to drugs, terrorist groups are behaving like sensible financial actors and have diversified to areas of lower risk and with higher profit. So a key example of this would be ISIS that made most of its revenues not through drug trade, but through the smuggling of oil. Likewise, we're looking at terrorist groups in Latin America like the FARC, that at the time that they came to the negotiating table, were making more money from 
illicit trade in gold than they were making from drugs. So this is a phenomenon that we have seen particularly in the last decade in which terrorist groups are behaving like rational business actors. Well, and that's interesting because you mentioned ISIS and oil and even with ISIS now being dispersed and having maybe, you can fill me in on the details on that, less actual control over oil supplies. They're also known to be uh, trading in antiquities and that kind of thing. Exactly. We just finished, when I say we, a book at track based on a research project that we did on illicit trade in antiquities. And as we talk about lesser control over territory, that's not just a phenomenon that is associated with terrorist groups, because much of what is going on in illicit trade has moved into online activity, into social media. And so we did a, over a year-long study of online activity, dark web activity, social media, addressing how the trade in antiquities was working. And though you could not see directly the footprint of terrorism, if you followed many of the traders who were involved in what were clearly illegally traded coins and other items, you would see that their Facebook supporters were people who were allied with terrorist organizations. So it's not a, a clear trajectory that you can see between the people in the, in the West who may be selling the goods and the terrorist organizations, but it takes a lot of probing through analysis of social media to understand these relationships. That's interesting that social media can be a tool for making these connections that are otherwise not apparent. And when you say that they're not apparent, that leads to me to ask, how do transnational crime organizations fit into the whole picture working with terrorist organizations and facilitate the illicit trade? So say you're smuggling antiquities. ISIS has been providing documents to looters to allow them to dig up goods on the territory that's controlled by ISIS. But ISIS does not have smuggling rings. So that's where terrorist organizations have to sometimes contract with smugglers that work with transnational crime groups to move the commodities to markets where the goods that have been dug up illegally can be monetized and enter into the international community. This is not a trivial issue because in this book that we've done on antiquity smuggling, one of our researchers who's a numismatic specialist was finding through online monitoring and quantifying the amount of coins being sold that they had gone up literally into the millions during the period in which terrorist groups were controlling territory in Iraq and Syria. So it suggests that we're looking at a phenomenon that is growing during the period that terrorists are in ascendancy, and it is leading to online sales that members of the financial community might not recognize as sources of terrorist funding because they appear to be going through legitimate Western sellers. Right. And I think in the article that you've just recently written on this topic, you mentioned how transnational crime organizations, which often control certain ports throughout the world, facilitate the movement of illicit goods by terrorist organizations. Exactly. One only has to go back in history to that Marlon Brando movie of On the Waterfront, one of the classics of cinema 
to understand the role of organized crime in ports, and they have certainly been involved in Marseille, in Naples, in Vladivostok. And there's a case that I wrote about in an earlier book called Dirty Entanglements, in which the port of Naples is implicated in a car theft insurance fraud ring that was run out of Los Angeles and helped fund the Beslan attacks in Russia. That's the attack that killed numerous school children in the Caucasus in Russia. So what we're looking at are long supply chains. And you have to understand that terrorists may only be involved at the beginning end and the final end of the supply chain, but criminals and corrupt officials are involved in intermediary points in the ports and in along shipping routes. So this leads to another area of who the financial facilitators are in this whole process. Uh, my audience is particularly interested in this. We're very aware of the Financial Action Task Force report on professional money laundering. Where do professional money launders come into this whole chain of moving things? Well, we only have to go back to the Panama Papers and look at Mossack Fonseca and see that this financial facilitation firm in Panama was receiving money of people who were clearly identified by international organizations as terrorists. So there were criminals there, there were corrupt government officials, but there were also terrorists that cropped up in their files. So that's just one example of how a professional facilitator is there. But we have lawyers, accountants, and transport specialists that are often key facilitators of terrorist involvement in illicit trade because they are intersecting with legitimate supply chains. And sometimes businesses are facilitating the movement of these goods unaware that their clients are terrorists. So this is where, when we'll get later to discussing how we address this, we need to be thinking about data analytics and how do we understand supply chains better. Also, we have recently had a case in which ISIS was online because everything's gone online during the pandemic and they were facilitating the sale of counterfeit PPE and counterfeit masks that were entering into global supply chains. So this is another area in which online platforms, which direct interact in many ways with the legitimate financial community, can be facilitators of terrorist financing. Well, this leads, I mean, we we're kind of talking around it a little bit. This leads to the question, what's the international financial community doing about this? Uh, I know our people out there like to think they're trying to do something, whether their financial institutions are doing enough as a whole. But what is the story there? What is the financial community doing about this kind of trade? I think the international financial community is trying to do more. There's certainly an effort to do more. But just before I came on this call, I was recalling and reviewing the recent FATF report on illicit wildlife trade. And that report says that there's very little footprint that one can find of terrorists in the illicit wildlife trade. And that may be true, but I think there's much more that can be done because there are certainly the involvement of certain areas in Africa in which terrorist groups have a significant footprint, particularly in East Africa, 
that have been involved in the shipment of elephant tusks. So I think and FATF is going to go on and look at beyond illicit wildlife trade and other trade and natural resources. But what needs to get below the surface and be much more sensitive to who is at the beginning of the supply chain, the territories they control, the ports that they control, and the convergence of some phenomena with the drug trade, for example, a lot has been found about sympathizers of D Company, which is a terrorist organization that was involved in India and is based in Pakistan and the Middle East, and their involvement in serving as hawaladars, but also as facilitators of some of these wildlife and drug shipments out of West Africa. So one needs to be looking much more below the surface and looking at very complex relationships that are often not easily apparent without serious data analytics. Well, that leads to the question, are there any, and, and I'm, I'm maybe asking for a few easily recounted typologies, are there some typologies that you can point to that you would tell people who are working in anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist finance operations at financial institutions, are there, are there some things that strike you that have come up lately that they should be looking for in the transactions that they deal with? I think they've got to be looking at transactions that are linked to trade-based money laundering. And those are key, whether they're gold, whether they are minerals such as coltan that are being used to make cell phones and telephones, and how these are intersecting with the legitimate economy. And also one needs to be looking at some of the cryptocurrencies, where they're being cashed in, and to understand a little bit more about their interactions with the legitimate banking system. And the current law enforcement regime, both globally, and if you, maybe if you look at the US and some of the financial centers of the world, is it adequate? What needs to be done? I think that much more needs to be done in public-private partnerships, partnerships on using large-scale data analytics and involving the academic community that's at the forefront of AI and understanding trade data. You need to have civil society working much more closely with the financial sector. And also, there are many, many good journalists who provide red flags that are often used by law enforcement and could be used by the financial community. You can test them with your data, but you need to be thinking much more clearly and in much more complex ways about how does this phenomenon intersect. Therefore, it's very important to have laws and the implementation of beneficial ownership, regulations regarding corruption, and legislation that eliminates shell and front companies that are also being used for terrorists as they are being used by corrupt officials. So we're at the point in, in closing, are you mostly optimistic that we really have the tools or we can have the tools to combat uh, illicit trade by terrorists or where do you stand on that? I don't want to say that I stand on anything, but one of my new areas of research is working with people who are very skilled in AI and large-scale data analytics and 
trying to look for anomalies in international trade. And therefore, we will find, as we have in some previous research, who is involved in this transnational crime, and some of that will, of course, be terrorist groups. What I can say is that I have never seen previously in my life such collaboration and outreach from the business community, from government, and from civil society as I am seeing at the moment. And that's what makes me optimistic. It is very recent, but it is very real, with real collaboration on data and insights. Tomorrow I'm chairing a session with a group of journalists who are extremely skilled at mining export-import data and sharing their insights on how to do this. So I believe that the future is coming, but it requires basically a whole-of-society approach and not a whole-of-government approach that leads out the financial community. But these collaborations are key and coming, and that's where my optimism is. Well, that is indeed an optimistic note to end on. Dr. Louise Shelley, thank you for taking time to talk to me today. You're welcome. My pleasure. ACAMS does such good work. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Professor Louise Shelley from George Mason University. I hope you found what you heard informative and will subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud so that you will receive an alert for each new podcast because financial crime matters to me and to you. See you next time.